Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I'm Graham Couch of the LSJ here alongside my colleague Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press. Uh, it is Thursday, midday, um, November 2nd, before Michigan State's football game against Nebraska, a few days ahead of the basketball opener against James Madison, um, and lots of other stuff happening in the world of, of <laughs> Foot, I, I think you're going to say just lots of other stuff is the amazing clarifier of what's going on right now. Every hour, it's a little dangerous in a podcast because every hour there's something new. You know, by the time yeah. you listen to this, Jim Harbaugh could no longer be the coach at Michigan, and Michigan State may have beaten Michigan despite losing forty nine to nothing. No, I'm likely kidding, but you just never know in in this sort of um, in this sort of environment and. Uh, with everything that, that, that that's happening, um, so we're we're gonna do a couple things here. We're gonna talk about the Michigan State game against uh, against uh, uh, Nebraska. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about Connor Stallions in Michigan, and then we're gonna talk uh, some Michigan State hoops. And uh, so let's start with let's just start MSU football in Nebraska. Let's go there. It's what's on everybody's mind. Let's. It's face everybody's it. mind. There are a couple things of note. I do think the the game itself, while it's losing its its zest to a lot of fans, the quarterback situation is at least interesting, because you have a situation where a week ago, after the MSU offense had shown shown no juice for for seven eight quarters really, dating back to the last quarter at uh, uh, Rutgers. Sam Levitt comes in and things look a little alive. And it wasn't a perfect quarter. I mean, obviously he got stripped from behind and fumbled through an interception trying to make something happen. But he led him on a touchdown drive. And they've been outscored 41-6 to in the last uh, three games, not against Michigan in the fourth quarter. And so, you know, the only six is that. That's something. The offense looked like it had something. Levitt looks like a guy who's got a little playmaking to him. Looks like he's got some moxie, some arm strength. Uh, you know, the ability to run, like there's something there. And this week, they didn't, you know, Harlan Barnett didn't reveal which way they were going at the quarterback position. It's just hard to imagine anybody watching that game last week. And if the objective is to win this week, not thinking Sam Levitt gives you the best opportunity. Yeah, the thing that you obviously saw there was the first time the kid got a chance with the ball in meaningful minutes and he moved the offense which is something that both Noah Kim and uh, and uh Kaden Hauser struggled to do uh against power 5 competition that's that to me I think was the big thing I mean even the interception I, listen he had two turnovers one Spencer Brown just was an absolute turnstile on back-to-back plays first pet play got knocked down a uh, pass at the line 
or I shouldn't say got knocked down, but he got hit on the throw. And then the next play was the exact same thing. And Brown even tried to get a, a half step, and there was there was no chance. Levitt was carrying the ball a little loose, but you you're you're getting basically mauled uh, at that point, and you had no chance. I mean, you're on the move because the pressure's already halfway there. Um, so I give him a pass on that one. And the the last one, uh, the interception, he moved the offense. He moved the offense 50-plus yards and got them into a point where he threw the interception to the goal line trying to throw for a touchdown. So for an offense that, first of all, has had struggles moving the ball, picking up first downs, all these things, and second of all, is missing a running component because you right now you only have Nate Carter. And, I mean, at least Levitt with his legs gives you a secondary run option that you just weren't seeing. I mean, they ran Caten Hauser once on a design quarterback run, and that's the only time we saw him run. So Levitt at least was getting loose with some of those plays, trying to extend the pocket, and when things broke down, took off running. And you need something like that right now if you want to get that win for Harlan Barnett. So there are some other things to consider, too, obviously. One is that if you're going to ever start Levitt, you probably don't want his first start to be at Ohio State, right? right. That's not, not, not ideal, given what that defense is. Secondly, there's the conversation with Sam Levitt about, okay, if you play more than one more game, you lose your redshirt year. You burn yeah. the year. And so th- that, to me, to be fair to him, if you're going to play Levitt, then you're going to play Levitt. In other words, it, it, you know, you, you're not going back. Um, if you if you're deciding you're once he steps on the field for a fifth game, I guess he could play this week and you could change your mind. But once he steps on the field for a fifth game, he's your guy the rest of the way. It's the only fair thing to do. Well, he's your guy if he says it. I mean, we're at a point now though that players can say at any time, "I'm shutting it down to preserve a redshirt." So it's not just simply about the coaching staff's decision. It's about Levitt's That's what I mean. decision. Sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. Levitt, I think, holds the card here. I think the coaching staff. And, and, and it's a weird spot because the coaching staff is essentially trying to do you know what's best to win for this team, what's best for Levitt, but they're not going to be around for the fruits of the you know whatever they do here beyond this, right? So it's it's a weird spot for the coaching staff too, where you know if, if the coaching staff if nothing had happened this year out of the normal and say the quarterback situation had played out like this, you'd have it'd be a little bit different discussion probably too because you'd have a staff that thought they were going to be around for the future of this, you'd have Sam Levitt who felt like. Yeah, I want to be the st- play for these guys when they want to ask me to play because they're my coaching staff. I'm likely to be here. I'm likely to be the guy, and we just don't know where his head is. Where uh, you know, I mean, I think a number of these guys are going to leave at the end of the year, and the question is, you know, which of the quarterbacks, if any, stick around? What gives you the best chance to stick around? Is that the prerogative of the coaches to even try to make to, to care if that's in the cards? I think what you have to do if you're the coaches is put forth what you think gives you the best option to win. And if you think that's Sam Levitt, have the conversation with him that, okay, are you good going beyond four games? And then once he says yes, then you have to ride him because that that's that's the right move. Yeah, and the wild card is obviously Noah Kim. I mean, that's, yeah. that's something there that – Clearly, the coaches throughout the first few weeks felt that Noah Kim of the three was better. There is in-season development. I mean, sometimes people and fans don't want to equate that 
into the the formula for who's going to start at whatever position. But if if it's to that point though, where Levitt is head and shoulders, and I think we've seen it. I, I think there's that fourth quarter against a decent Minnesota defense. You know, is top sixty defense. Uh, power five defense. He moved them. He scored a touchdown. He did some things that we haven't seen either of the other quarterbacks do against power five competition. Throw out the Richmond game. Throw out the Central Michigan game. And, and I, I understand there's there's a lot of tape of that Central Michigan game floating around the interwebs. Uh, you, you know, you got to look at the power five games. And Noah Kim struggled. Caden Hauser has struggled. So that's, you know, it is about win now. I mean, when you're talking right now that you go, if you lose this game this weekend to Nebraska, that equals the 2016 seven game losing streak with not much, which with not much hope other than the Indiana game on the road against a team that just gave Penn State fits on the road uh, to, to deal with that. So I, I you know, I, I, uh, you know, there's a good chance that this team could end up losing out. As much as Harlan Barnett wants to say the goal is 4-0, we want to do something Michigan State teams have never done before. Well, if you lose out, you're equaling the school record losing streak of 10 games from 1916 to 1917. So that's, he's kind of not wrong about that. But um, this, I think this game and the Indiana game, I mean, you need... If you, I mean, this program needs a win. I mean, the players have said it, the coaches have said it. Anybody that's watched this kind of unfold realizes that. But I, I don't know if they have the horses to do it. Well, what's interesting is for three quarters in, in, in a lot of these games they have, and when you look at what separates you know Big Ten teams other than Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, it's just not much statistically and, and everything. Like Nebraska's won three straight. But their numbers aren't impressive. They turned the ball over nine times in those three games, and they, you know, got six of them back. But it's like, you know, but you start winning, you start finishing games, and that becomes part of your DNA. And and at a certain point now for Michigan State, it's just the other way around. And that, that's another reason I think they have to go with Levitt because we've seen the defense wear down late. They've been good and, and, and gritty for three quarters and gotten pressure and played pretty well. But if you don't have an offense, you have to play so perfectly in every realm. And 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 you, it's only fair to your defense. It's only fair to your program that you, you you try to have some juice on offense. And right now, you know it it is not a hundred percent fair to Kaiten Hauser because he's just a redshirt freshman. He may still be a really good college quarterback, but there's it's not like his mistakes have been. Boy, that was an aggressive mistake. Look at that throw. It's been like boy, there's not really a lot of oomph there, right? It is not a lot. And now, having said that. For three quarters at Rutgers, he was pretty good. He was pretty good three times in the red zone. You know, I mean, there were some. He was, you know, he was. He, he well, still he was almost at, threw a couple picks and had a fumble he, that that he, he was he was adequate. He was adequate, I should say. Yeah, and and so it may not seem fair to him, but I, I, nothing about this is fair. And I think what's fair to the other players is you go with the best chance to win. And I, again, if, if it's not Sam Levitt, uh, what 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 are what are we looking at? And and I do think, you know, there are lots of things like. If you're the coaching staff in the fourth quarter, you can't make that onside kick call after your team gets momentum, and you know you've got to be you've got to tighten it up too. The defense has got to find a way to get you know to have some grit in those moments, um, which which it struggled and wore down. But mostly the offense has to uh, 
has to has to get going. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, the problem with that is that as I'm preparing the scouting report for this Nebraska game, as you looked up and down that injury report, you know, that's that you're going to wear down when you have as many injuries as they've had, when you have in-game attrition, when you've got transfer portal attrition. Um, you know, it, it harkens back to what Mel Tucker said midway through camp before anything went awry. He spent all summer talking about how this is the deepest team he has and how much talent there is and all these things. Then it switch flipped somewhere in mid-August where he started saying, we have 30 or 40 guys. And that was that was the first warning sign that things could be really amiss this year before any of the other problems. You know, when, when the guy that recruited all these players spent all summer talking up the depth, um, either he was not paying attention to his program or trying to buffalo the fan base into thinking something was there that wasn't. Um, hindsight is that point in mid-August where you look and you heard that. And I heard that loud and clear because that wasn't that was a, a, a soft landing for the fans. Hey, we're not going to be as good as I thought we were going to be. Well, they're worse than that, obviously, now that Mel Tucker's gone and everything else that you put on top of a team that had some issues comes to fruition. Um, you know, add in the injuries, add in the the uncertainty that's moving forward. It's I mean, this is this has been a season unlike even the twenty sixteen season for Michigan State. I mean, it's it's been uh it's been something. Interesting. it's interesting, Graham. Before we do our predictions and move on here a little bit, uh, one more interesting note on football, if you're done with this season, is is at 4 o'clock Thursday. So many of you will already have listened to this. The the Big Ten will be unveiling its uh, schedule, football schedule for 2024. So you'll get to see the order of the opponents, which which are already known for Michigan State, uh, for uh, Coach Leopold. Um, And no, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, What's Coach Candle think of this? (laughs) <laughs> uh, anyway, um, let's uh, wait, we move wait, on, let's wait, do... wait. What about Coach Anise? <laughs> what about what about predictions for this week? What do you have? I think it's going to be similar to a lot of these other games where Michigan State's going to be in it for a half to three quarters. Um, I don't know what the fans are going to look like in the stands. I think that's something that's going to be. Interesting to say the least. I, I don't expect Spartan Stadium to be full, and w- who is there? I expect to mostly be in red. Um, Nebraska does travel really well. Um, I've heard some rumors that Michigan State's going to let pe- students with tickets bring in some people to try and pad the seats. Uh, I don't know if that's coming to fruition or not, but um, certainly. Desperate times, desperate measures, kind of thing. Um, I still think just, you know, you, you think back to the 2021 game, and you know, uh, Michigan State almost lost that game to a, a, a Nebraska team that was nowhere near as hot as this team is, relatively speaking. I mean, they won three in a row right now, and I, I, they're up for bowl eligibility. They got a new coach who's got them in a different direction. I, I just think. Where Nebraska is right now is where Michigan State wants to be in a year, and I just think that they're not there right now. I got, I think, I think it's going to be like twenty to seventeen, Nebraska. 
that's exactly the score I picked in my uh, my five factors and prediction. Twenty seventeen. I, I don't Nebraska. know why people go to Vegas. Just yeah. <laughs> just listen to this podcast. Yeah, no, don't don't do that. We've been wrong a number of times here. This will be the week that Michigan State wins by fourteen. Right. Um, <laughs> the uh, the over under though is incredible. This week it's like thirty. Three and a, what is it? Thirty three and a half or thirty four and a half or something like that. For I mean, it's really low. People do not expect a ton of offense. Um, I, I think twenty to seventeen is right. I I think at this point to pick MSU to win a game is just to go against the evidence that we've seen in in late in games of, of late. And uh, and Nebraska's gone the other way around. And uh, I think the spread is about right. I, I think the Indiana game is probably their best chance to win. Sure, one. And, that, and that's not even a. That's not even a, a favored situation or a pick'em situation because Indiana plays better at home, and we saw that in 2021 that Tom Allen gets his team up at home. Well, who knows what his status will be by then, too? The, that's, um, a, that's also another wild card in this. And then the, you know the other thing is Nebraska's got a young quarterback who is is kind of a bulky, bullish runner guy. You know, like who turns the ball over some. Like who, who you know turnovers could ultimately uh, just decide this game differently than we think. Right now, um, before we get to hoops, let's talk about what's going on uh, at Michigan and the um, Connor Stallion. I thought you were going to talk about another bullish quarterback uh, who's kind of in that similar mold by Rocky Lombardi in the, the game at Central Michigan uh, on Tuesday, a little Tuesday action. Yeah, well, the most interesting part of that was Jim McElwain afterward, uh, you know, being asked about who was on the sidelines, and 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 not a, not saying straight out that it was Connor Stallion, but obviously, if you know who that is on your sideline, you just say it, and they yeah. haven't done so. It's pretty clear it was him. So Michigan has a staffer at Spartan Stadium on Central Michigan sideline. The sign stealer guy is as he's been affectionately dubbed by Jim McElwain, who, by the way, by the way, Jim McElwain's son. Uh, as of a couple of years ago, was on Michigan staff as a recruiting uh, director. There are lots of there are lots of connections there, and the and he also has he also had glasses sunglasses on at night, which may or may not have had camera uh, operating capabilities in there. I mean, it was it was a, a weird situation, and now there are reports of a coach's call last. That's where you're going. Weird situation. I mean, all the all the words in the English language that you could use for this weird situation is is as muted as I guess you could get because it's insane. Every bit yes. of this has gotten more and more insane uh, over the course of the last two weeks. It, it, no I mean, doubt. It's, it's mind-boggling how insane it's getting. No doubt. And, you know, the you've got a coach's call that was reportedly happened uh, on Wednesday in which the coaches wanted something done and, and, and the Big Ten coaches speaking to the uh, Big Ten commissioner about – uh, you know the advantages that creates and how unfair it is, and uh, you know just how ridiculous this all is. And apparently, there's reportedly an AD's call happening uh, on on today, this Thursday. And so, I, I, I'm going to be really curious to see what, if anything, the Big Ten does. The Big Ten to me has been rather feckless in a lot of ways with issues in recent years. And this is Michigan, right? This is one of its golden gooses. This is a, a program that's got a chance to win a national title. Um, but at some point, you know, if, if the evidence that they're gathering lines up with the evidence that we're all reading, this is, this is not something you can just ignore and allow the season to play out. I don't think. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of, you know, you really see where, where people stand on. There's a lot of people to think that this is, this is 
not that big a deal. I think at the very worst, number one, it, it, it's very clear at some point that the rules were broken. The spirit of things is it's way out of whack too in terms of what they're they're trying to do. Lots of people try to steal signs on the on the sidelines, but when you go to the lengths that Michigan Michigan Stafford did, I don't care if he's a low level or whatever, he's on your staff. There's lots of video evidence of him communicating with the top coaches on Michigan staff. They knew who this guy was. He wasn't some guy off in the distance who had an office somewhere who put together some videos once in a while. Nobody knew who he was. This is a guy who was prominent in what happened on game days for Michigan. Has a parking spot has a parking spot at Schembechler Hall. You're not low level if you get a parking spot on campus. Sorry. With with a They sign. knew who he was. Now, did I do I think Jim Harbaugh knew he was on Central Michigan sideline? I do not. I do not. But that doesn't mean it doesn't fall under the purview of knowing what the hell is going on in your program. And I, I'm going to be very curious to see what happens here. It, it's a little unprecedented. And I, I don't really know what the punishment, what just punishment there is. Um, but there should be something. And just because a team is on its way to a national championship, if you would punish them if their name was Central Michigan, if you would punish them if they were 4-3, and three, you should punish them in this situation the same way. Agreed? There's a, well, there's a lot to digest here because I think when you talk about punishing Central Michigan, the proximity to that mystery man on the sideline for Jim McElwain is going to be very hard to kind of well, no, I'm not saying they should. I'm not well, saying they I'm, should punish I'm, Central Michigan. No, 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 no what I'm saying, no, 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 what I'm, I'm saying I, though is, hold on, I, I, because I do think that there needs to be an NCAA component into what happened at that MSU CMU game. I think that's 100 percent needs to happen and will happen because CMU is also now in violations of NCAA rules by having someone on the sideline that is not a member of their staff. I shouldn't have sent Central Michigan. If they would have punished South Alabama, then they should punish Michigan. That was my point. If you'd punish a lower-level program, that's what that was my point. Uh, in no, I, 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 I know where you were coming from. I'm just saying that there are other things here. I'm, I'm trying to – there's a lot to digest and a lot to say. Um, one, uh, you know, looking at that Central Michigan, first of all, heard about – the potential that that Connor Stallions was at the CMU game last week, probably around like Thursday, um, and can't say that I expected it by Monday afternoon to be that Connor Stallions wasn't just there buying a ticket in the stands at Spartan Stadium, but on potentially on the sideline, allegedly on the sideline, potentially in a disguise. All these things that you know. You know, you, you, I, all of a sudden when I heard that Monday morning, late Monday morning, I, I find myself watching back this CMU game again. And you start seeing some things such as the two fourth down plays that got stuffed in that game uh, that Michigan State had in the first quarter. And you think, how and why did that happen now? So you're not now just talking about Michigan's games being in question. You're now talking about that game. You know, those calls. And if you see it in that game that Michigan State wins with that advance, little things like that add up when the, the competition level goes up. Um, right. so, so there's that. Um, you know, there has – I mean, there's the, the athletic story that interviewed 50 coaches uh, around the country was fascinating because they gave them complete anonymity. And when you would hear the complete anonymity, you'll heal the rear thing. You'll hear the realness because 
coaches don't want to. I mean, they're, the fact that 13 schools in the Big Ten are lining up against Michigan, the fact that 50 coaches all are saying that this could be anywhere from a three to three points to three touchdown difference in a game, now you're talking about a lot of different things at play here. And, I mean, there's so much involved in this. Kind of going to the, the thing where I was saying about the proximity to Jim McElwain, how do you not know that? How, how do you not know that there's a guy in the the only people wearing the outfits that you're wearing on the sideline are the coaching staff? How do you not know that there's someone in the middle of a game? I don't care if it's in the haze, in the fog of war or not. How do you not know that? Why is this person here? Why, who is this person? How, how do you not see and say that? Because he's clearly talking to your staff members. And afterward, you don't know who it is. I mean, there's right. there's a lot of things, and I don't think I, it doesn't help anybody, Michigan or Central Michigan, the fact that they have all those ties between the programs. With the quarterbacks coach having been a, a student assistant at Michigan while Connor Stallions was there, and uh, a couple other coaches further up the ranks, uh, there someone knows who that guy is, anyways, from their time at Michigan. Right, and if he was double dipping for Central Michigan and all, that, I mean, yeah, it, it really that Central hasn't come out with anything since Tuesday is, I mean, we're at midday Thursday. How, how tough is it to figure out and send out a layered message here? We don't know who it was, or it definitely was not a staff member or anybody on our staff. I mean, can you imagine if this was Michigan State that had done this? It would be. Um, and I think people look. A lot of coaches don't like Harbaugh, but it would be there would be a uh, the, there would be a real national momentum to to do something right away. And and I'm, I'm beginning to sense that though, even though it's Michigan, and um, I, I really think that I'm going to be curious if they let them play this out, if they let them go to the Big Ten championship game, say they beat Ohio State, if they let them go to the playoff. I mean, the best thing that could happen to the Big Ten is that Ohio State beats them, and Ohio State remains undefeated, and Ohio State represents is the only Big Ten representative in the playoff, and that Michigan goes away somewhat naturally, and then you have the time to let the investigations that go at a snail's pace to actually unfold. Because, you know, the NCAA, which if they're going to give a level one notice of a, like a level one violation, that's a 90-day response time for Michigan. That's not happening within the season. There's nothing the NCAA is going to do within this season. Now, they can that notice can come out at some point, but I don't even think the, you know, I don't know that it would even move that quickly for that. The, the Big Ten, it's not going to happen internally at Michigan. They don't think it's that big a deal because they're about to give Jim Harbaugh a new deal. Right, that's where they're at. Allegedly, yeah, and and so the only place it's going to come from is the Big Ten, and this would be you talk about a whopper of a a move by by Tony Petiti, the new the new commissioner. Um, It it, it would be something, but what you have to figure out, and there's a lot of emotions on all sides of this. Right, Michigan fans think it's nothing; they feel like their own children have been threatened here, and because again, football school, this is what they have; this is their season. I mean, I get it. When I talk to about to Michigan State fans about the concept of football, basketball school, the fifty-fifty being able to turn the page, and the 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 beauty of that, if you're an MSU fan, to go to basketball season and be able to 
Michigan doesn't have that. They like basketball, but their soul is so stirred by football that this this you know this this ruins everything. And I, well, you you have to figure out to what degree rules were broken. Who who knew what, and who should have known what, and then what's appropriate, and do it rather quickly, and do it without the emotion of angry coaches and Michigan folks who, who think it's not a big deal and, and come to a reasonable conclusion and then make a what could be a landmark decision if you do anything that takes Michigan out of the running for a Big Ten championship or national championship. I, I like that you use the word reasonable conclusion because I don't feel like there is any reasonable conclusion. With I mean, it's not a reasonable situation, quite honestly. I mean, liter- we're liter- think about the things that we're talking about. I mean, you know, I've kind of said this, like, you know, half jokingly this week, but like, who would have known, you know, it, it late August that the words that we would be talking about are masturbation, Hitler, cyber espionage, and sign stealing. You know, I mean, all these things that have come into the the forefront of college football in the state of Michigan right now are absurd. But particularly this situation with Michigan, it's beyond absurd. I mean, we're talking about. And and there are other rumors out there that I'm not going to say, but, you know, with if those rumors come to fruition, now we're talking about a whole other level here. I mean, you know, that's the thing I don't think that 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 how much deeper can this go? Because it seems like like we said at the outset, things have changed by the hour. And, you know, if some of those things come to pass and come to fruition, now you're talking about the entire sport, not just Michigan football. It's going to be a fascinating few days and few weeks on this. Fascinating, point. fascinating. All right, let's talk some Michigan State basketball now. A happier place for for MSU fans, a more optimistic place. Obviously, um, a lot's happened since we last convened. A couple exhibition games, uh, including, or maybe we did one after the last exhibition game. I don't even remember. But <laughs> the Tennessee, the Tennessee game. Uh, certainly was, was, was an interesting game on, uh, Sunday. And then, um, and now you've got an opener against James Madison coming up. Um, the, the Tennessee game, look, I think that was a great idea. I think they should do that stuff more often. I think getting punt, getting punched in the mouth, you know, against a really good team when a game that doesn't matter is good for you. I think it's even better to be the road team. Think of the value Tennessee gets out of being in that sort of environment. And, and so Michigan state should want to play these on the road too. Um, I'm not saying you don't want to, you know. I'm not saying you don't want to ease in with a, with a Hillsdale type school, but I just think for all they may get out of close scrimmages, being able to work on, you know, individual situations and out of bounds plays and all that stuff, and stop it and start it and do things that differently. The value in this is tenfold. And if if I were the NCAA, I would allow this. And if I were Michigan State, I would do this. If you're going to bring in a team like Tennessee that comes in on Saturday. Maybe on Saturday or the next, maybe you find a time to do both where it's not, it's a situational scrimmage. I don't know. Maybe not, but maybe I'm overdoing it. There's a blueprint for this, and the NFL does it every preseason camp where teams go, they work out together and against each other for a couple days in practices, and then they play an exhibition game, a a preseason game. So, I mean, there's definitely a blueprint for this. And, And I don't know why this isn't a thing across the entirety of, of college sports. I know that some sports allow spring scrimmages with other teams. I mean, there's no uniformity with this kind of stuff. I mean, there's no reason that this shouldn't be, in lieu of a spring game, what college football should be doing. 
you know, yeah. have have that NFL preseason mindset. And, you know, it, it it's maddening to see sometimes college sports get stuck in the rut, but I am glad they did this because it was for a good cause. We've been to Maui. They've obviously, both programs have been to Maui. Um, and and I, I don't think that should get lost. I think it got lost a little bit during the game because everybody was treating this like, you know, a, a March Madness kind of game. I mean, it, it, the the environment was incredible and, and electric. But I thought they could have done a little more to kind of push the. Hey, the reason we're here is to to help the this place that is dealing with the such a tragedy. I mean, such a, on an epic proportion that I don't know if we can fathom until maybe we go back there and see what we saw in in the end of 2019 and how much different it is. I do think what what will help is I mean all those people who paid all their tickets um went toward that right so there there is that there is that benefit that that and maybe maybe the fans see it you know were reminded of that as 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 they bought tickets and and understood that and so maybe there was that vibe um in terms of the basketball you know I don't think look Michigan State falling behind in 17 to 1 is something that you didn't expect um but I think it's one of those things that's less likely to happen against Duke because it happened in the Champions Classic because it just happened against Tennessee. And and sometimes a team needs to see that we're not just going to be able to roll out the basketballs because we're running it back because we brought in these guys because we have this much talent. Um, this, is a, this is a Michigan State team that is still going to have to do the little things right that's still going to have to be gritty if it's going to get anywhere near where it wants to go. I thought, and and you were there at courtside. I was at my grandma's grandmother's hundredth, and and watching uh, on BTN, which I was very glad to see the television at my hotel in Maine. And, and happy one hundredth um, to Ella Couch. Appreciate that. Yeah, she she says thank you. Um, she had many hot takes uh, and, 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 and thoughts. <laughs> I hope um, she has a hundred hot takes, man. That's right. <laughs> her her take was that Michigan State is a basketball school. Um, <laughs> the the uh, but there was nothing though that jumped at me that. This is a problem. There are guys. Emily Call hasn't played that well. I thought Cohen Carr did. I didn't think AJ Hogard had a great game. I think he'll have a good season. I, but there was nothing to me that stood out as like, uh oh, they're in trouble here. What, what were your takeaways? Yeah, my theory on the on the slow start is maybe playing Hillsdale a couple days earlier left them a little vulnerable because Tennessee came in, they hadn't played anybody, so. Michigan State might not have been prepared for the pit of snakes that they were they were seeing, um, and it snapped out of it. They snapped out of it in the first ten minutes. I mean, they had se- I think seventeen turnovers, and about nine of them were in the first ten minutes of the game, and six of those were part of that seventeen to one start. So turnovers. I mean, you know that that's been an ongoing issue. They managed to to temper them last year. Uh, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about that at the moment. Um, I, I think the the biggest takeaway, and and again, they, they, they punched right back into that game. And, you know, after that start, you know, they, they basically win the game. But you know, it's probably like Tom Izzo and his players have said, we needed maybe a punch in the mouth. That's what these kind of games are for. But the other thing is seeing the – the reality of the pressure. And I know that Tennessee was out without their starting guards, but turning up the pressure uh, with this group, I think is going to make for a very interesting season. And I think that's some of the things that they got to juggle. They got to juggle the ability to play fast on the defensive end, 
um, and try and not play too fast on the other end. So, I mean, if, you, if you're creating the steals, if you're creating the turnovers for a team that was among the nation's worst at creating turnovers and getting steals last year, that's a good thing. But you also can't then go the other route and start coughing the ball up the other way because then it's for naught. But I, I think there's a lot of promising things that I saw on the defensive side in that game uh, in the full court. and the half court, eh. It's still going to be a work in progress trying to figure out uh, how to juggle the, the the big men, you know, with Sosomo yeah. and Cooper. And, and, and uh, one thing, the one thing I do want to say is people kind of forget that Malik Hall had surgery in the offseason. And that's, I mean, I, yeah. I think he's been playing not to the point where we saw him fully healthy, but he's better than where he was. Uh, maybe uh, a maybe like in January and February when he was fighting through the the toe injury and 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 the foot thing to try and stay through the whole season. I, I think you got to give a little leeway to that for him to get fully game ready, and that's I think another reason why this was a good game for them to, to particularly hauled. Yeah, no, and, and that's that's a good point. It's gonna take it's gonna take him a minute. There's I've seen some criticism of Malik Hall, and and you know I, Malik Hall is gonna be fine. The question with Malik Hall is, can he be more than fine? Like, can Malik Hall become a guy who we've seen flashes of at times earlier in his career, where he can take over for small stretches and be consistent doing it? And you know, can he have an outside shot that that is uh, something of a weapon, which is really important for the four man in that offense? And you see the advantage of it with uh, Xavier Booker, who doesn't give them many other advantages right now, um, though I think he's somebody as he, you know, you think about Deontay Davis's freshman year, and they're not exactly the same player. But what I mean is late in that year when Deontay Davis was on the floor, I remember some games at Wisconsin where it just made all the difference in the world because of his length and as he started to figure stuff out. And so, you know, I, I think Booker could have that sort of impact this year with a little more outside skill and and in a lot he's going to do some yeah a lot more outside skill he's going to do some things that make you think boy that guy should be on the floor and then there are going to be reasons he's not uh, <laughs> because there's some things yeah. he, he he doesn't do yet he got eight eight minutes in that game uh, and that was one of the things that Izzo said he wished he could have got him a little bit more but uh, I think there were some some questions about that I mean you look at those post minutes I mean it's eight for Booker it's 19 for Sissoko it's 15 for Cooper and you know then I think they ran uh Malik Hall in there a little bit uh 28 minutes of his 28 minutes a couple of those so I mean juggling those 40 minutes is is going to be a work in progress yeah and, and you brought up the defense I do think this team has a chance to be especially on the perimeter uh just a wicked defensive team um and you know that's really going to have to be their advantage. They got the bodies. They got the guys to do it. They they've got to be sort of tenacious there. Um, let's let's turn ahead to the opener against James Madison, who is you know I I like this as an opener because you, you're it's not a low major. It's a not only is it a mid major, it's a mid major that won twenty two games last year you know, was in the, the NIT, like just can't quite get over the hump and win its conference title, but has been, is, is a really quality program right now. And like they will, they, they tested Virginia last year. They, they were in it with North Carolina, although, you know, didn't shoot well that day. Like this is a day where you actually have to show up. You're not just going to walk over somebody. 
And and I think that is is better than playing like a low major and then walking into in, into Duke again. You want to keep the level of play at a, at a, at a decent decent place. Decent, and I think James Madison will be a game that uh, um, you know I would not be surprised if this this game is you know in that ten to twelve point range in the second half. Yeah, and you know what's funny is that you know maybe getting punched in the mouth in that Tennessee game helps them helps Michigan yeah. State not come out slow. In this one, and understanding a little more, because Izzo said that he, you know, they tried to, they treated that like a regular game prep uh, to get some of the freshmen ready to understand the roles and responsibilities. So they've got that under their belt now. They've they've got what happens if you come out slow under their belt and in their head. So that prevents, you would think, it, it prevents that from happening a second time when things get real. We will have, obviously, complete coverage of that. That's Monday's issue, and we'll have coverage going into that. Lots of uh, basketball copy uh, ahead. Uh, I had my, my annual uh, semi-serious spin through Michigan State season drop today in which Chris's name was invoked a couple couple different times for his uh, travel logistics, uh, especially in South Dakota State love. Um. You, know, you know what's <laughs> funny about that is that you may have planted a seed in my head to just somehow not be in state college in February and instead be in Port It's funny is there was some truth to the, like getting to state college the delta flight that used to go direct out of Detroit is no more. So like getting to state college is no longer very easy and you can't nobody wants to drive that. Uh, but you, <laughs> but, well I've driven that's a few. The, I've, that's I've the driven, one I've that's driven. the one I do drive. You drive well no but yeah that's right because you know you, you got family on yeah. the way. Uh, but but what I'm saying is more people may be with you on this because unless I mean it, it can be easier to fly, but you cannot get best I could tell from Lansing, Michigan, you cannot get to State College, Pennsylvania by air faster than you can drive anymore. <laughs> and that, yeah. I looked at a number of different routes. So just in terms of speed, it, it is insane to get there. So that's that's that, the pre, uh, the the precipice for that was sort of I thought. This could actually be a difficult travel uh, situation, and then, and then, of course, I thought of you. Um, anyway, we'll have complete coverage, as I said, of hoops, of football this weekend. Um, there's going to be lots to talk about and deal with over the over the coming weeks. Can be uh, fascinating times, as, as, as Chris Solari uh, would say. Uh, for Chris, uh, for myself, this has been a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. Please rate, subscribe, be kind. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.